I'm going to be preaching from Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 20, but to set the context, I'm going to, I'm going to start with a passage that we, did, uh, that we um, began with two weeks ago, um, Genesis 11:27. 27. So I'll read from Genesis 11:27 27 um, down to 12, 20. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram and his son Lot and the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai the daughter, sorry, Sarai's daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of, at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. The woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her from my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. Our Lord and our God, as we approach this passage of Scripture, we see Abram, the, the man who would become 
the man of faith, struggling with a very human temptation, succumbing to fear and sinning against you. Lord, I, I know that, that some of our hearts, censure might arise and we might, we might seek to, to bring charge against him. But Lord, we know that, that Abram here reflects us, that, that we are also very capable of succumbing to fear and sinning under circumstances far less trying than those that Abram faced here. And so, Lord, I pray that as we approach this passage of Scripture, that this would, would not remain as, as a, a, distant, um, a distant story about somebody lived 4,000 years ago, but the truth of this passage about who, who Abram was, about who we are, would come home to our hearts through the power of your Spirit. And I pray even more that as we consider this passage, that we will see not just who we are, but who you are. That we will see our faithlessness, but that it will cause us to reflect on your faithfulness. For you are the unchanging God. You are the same yesterday and today and forever. So we pray to you, Lord, with a holy confidence, knowing that you will hear our prayers because of Christ. Amen. For some people, lying comes as easily as breathing. I remember in my days as, as a teacher, I was, I was sometimes shocked at when I, I would, would talk to a student about something that they'd done and, and they would just sit there and, and look me right in the eye and just, just lie to me. It would just roll off their tongue. They wouldn't even flinch. I remember one, one young student that I had that that. I was fully convinced with, he said that he didn't do, I don't remember what the issue was, but I was fully convinced by his story. And then I found out that no, indeed, he had actually done it and he had lied to me. And, you know, in, in, uh, contrary to the, uh, the, the, the old um, adage, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Well, he did it again. And he, and he got me again. This, this student had become adept at lying. It was a survival strategy for him. For, for some people, lying comes as easily as breathing. There's some lies that are, are very common in our culture. We kind of joke about them. The, the check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. One size fits all. Th this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I just need five minutes of your time. Let's have lunch sometime. Or, or the Christian one, sadly, I'll pray for you. I'm going to add another common lie, a, a lie that's common not in our culture, but in the pages of Genesis. A, a lie that we're going to see repeated again and again in this book. He's my brother. He's my brother. This is the lie that Abram convinces his wife Sarai to tell in our passage this morning. In order to save his own skin, Abram, the man of faith, succumbs to fear and becomes a liar. He's going to do the same thing in, in Genesis 20 with Abimelech. 
In fact, in that passage in, in verse 13, he testifies that he told his wife to lie like this for him wherever they went. So it seems that it wasn't just those two times. This deception spreads like a disease through the patriarchs in Genesis. His son Isaac will convince his wife, Rebekah, to tell exactly the same lie that Abram told. But Abram's grandson, Jacob, is going to take lying to whole new levels. And then there's his great-great-grandsons. All these lies come from Satan, the father of lies. But while lying is, is certainly not condoned here, this passage is much more than a morality tale condemning dishonesty. This narrative presents a problem that threatens God's covenant promises, a problem that is exacerbated by Abram, the recipient of those promises. And this passage is about God's faithfulness to preserve the children of promise. Remember where we left Abram last time. Look, look back at, at Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had called Abram out of his country, away from his kindred, and, and out of his father's house to go to the promised land, a land that, that Abram didn't even know yet exactly where it was. And the Lord promised to make from Abram a great nation. He promised to bless Abram and to, to bless those who blessed Abram and to curse those who dishonored Abram. He promised Abram that, that in him, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And then we see Abram traversing from the, the northern part of, of Canaan down to the, the southern end, wherever he went, building altars and worshiping the Lord. God had promised Abram a, a land, a seed, and the nations. And he's about to be tempted in, in those three ways. Exactly in those three ways. Because here in verse 10, we see that a problem arises. Abraham is, or Abram rather, is, he's already experienced a test once before. He's experienced a test, if we look back at, um, at verse 30 of chapter 11, that his wife Sarai was barren. She had no child. Here he is at, at 75 years of age and, and Sarai six, at least 65 and, and they have no child and yet there was, there was the promise that, that, they, that he would be the father of, of many nations. That the, the people of Israel would come through him. And we're not gonna see a resolution of, of that problem for, for many chapters. We need to understand that, that God often tests us, not because he wants to know what's in our hearts. God is omniscient. God knows what's in our hearts, but God tests us in order to show us what's in our hearts and to show us our need to rely on him.
questions, but, but I must have another fearful. Okay, they're gonna see the, the discrepancy here and, and they're gonna kick me out of the country. I sought counsel with, with some, some Christian people that I was staying with and, and he said, well, you're a new creature in Christ. Th- those things, that, that's not you anymore. That's the old John Tucker. Now that was a half-truth. It was a half-truth that's really kind of in line with, with, with the lie that, that Abram had told because we find out in, again in Genesis 20 that, that Abram is his half-sister. So it's, it's really a, a half-truth. It's a, it's a lie. But I, I answered no on those questions and, and my conscience was, was initially really troubled by this. But gradually my conscience got quieter and quieter until one Saturday, I remember this very, very clearly, that the, I think I was reading something in scripture and the Lord really convicted me. I was like, you, you sinned. You have to make this right. And so I, I talked to a, to a man, he gave me some counsel. He said, you know what? Like, he said, God is sovereign over the Department of Immigration. You will be where you are meant to be. If God wants you in Australia, you'll be in Australia. If he wants you somewhere else, you'll be somewhere else. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to make it right. Two days later, I'd gone to a, a shopping center, came out the door, and there was a, a woman that I knew who worked for the Department of Immigration in visa compliance. And so I told her the story. She said, well, I'm going I'm to talk to my boss, and, and I'll get back to you. And in the, the, during the, the, the following two weeks, I was, I was scared I was going to get deported. And then... We talked on the phone and she said, so I spoke to my, my, my boss and, and it's, it's fine. Just make sure that when you fill out your permanent residency application that you're 100% honest. And she said, you better get your application in soon because the, because the, the, the requirements have just changed. The, the door is actually just opened for you to be able to immigrate. So you better get the application in soon. And so this, this incident and my sin and by God's grace, my repentance of sin actually became the thing that opened the door for me to be able to immigrate. I was, I was able to, to, grant, to be granted permanent residency. What a merciful God. That, that even in, the, in my, my sin, God overruled and God blessed and, and God gave me this desire. Abram, in this case, risked not only his wife, but, but his own life through, through this trial. For, for Pharaoh is, is soon going to discover the truth and in an extremely unpleasant way. He could have easily responded by having, by having Abram executed. People were killed in Egypt for far less than this. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, of course, the Lord was sovereign over all of the events in this narrative, though not the author of Abram's sin. Yet this is the first time we see in this passage that the Lord is acting. He punishes Pharaoh and his household, afflicting them very likely with with leprosy or some other serious disease. And the seriousness of this curse and the fact that, that Pharaoh says that he took her as his wife in verse 19 suggests that that. That Pharaoh actually committed adultery with Sarai. 
In a parallel story, in, in a um, story of Abimelech in, in Genesis 20, God warns Abimelech that he's going to kill Abimelech if he touches her. But Abimelech says expressly, explicitly, that he did not touch Sarah. Now we can't be certain whether, whether Pharaoh indeed violated Sarai, but, but Abram's behavior, the fact that it raises the question, is bad enough. And so in this we see the Lord fulfilling his promises even as Abram undermines them. Jump back again to Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now look at that, that first part there. We see God fulfilling that promise to Abram. Pharaoh, granted unwittingly, dishonors Abram. And so God curses him. God is fulfilling his promise to Abram, even in Abram's faithlessness. But continue, look at the rest of verse three. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We don't know what's gonna become of Pharaoh or his household, but at least for now, Abram, through his sin, is providing the occasion for the family of Pharaoh not to be blessed, but to be cursed. And we see in verses 18 and 19, Pharaoh called Abraham, Abram and questioned him, saying, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now this is a rebuke. This is a, a stiff rebuke. Again, it's an irony because here we see Abram, the man of faith, chastised by a pagan Pharaoh for his deceit. Pharaoh says at the end of verse 19, now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. So he deports Abram. It's a shameful departure. But notice that that Abram and his wife and his his family do not leave empty-handed. Amazingly, Pharaoh sent him away with all of his possessions. He he got to keep the gifts that Pharaoh had given him. So Abram's sin became now the occasion of further blessing. We do need to be careful with this. We we need to realize that that not always, in fact, quite often, financial blessing is not a sign of of God's blessing. It's a sign of, of, of all kinds of different things, and it could be a sign of covetousness. So don't conclude because you're being blessed financially or other ways that, that God is necessarily blessing you. But I wonder as we think about this, about, about Abram again going down to Egypt and about, about the, the, the curses that, that fall on Egypt because of Abram. And then Abram leaving Egypt with great possessions. D- does that remind you of anything? we're seeing, again, a foretaste here of the Exodus. This is, in, in small form, a, a, a taste of what's, what's going to happen later on when the, the people of Israel are, are in Egypt. And, and Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. But, but we know that, that, that again and again, Pharaoh rejects this, this request. And God sends down curses, 
curse after curse, 10 curses on Egypt, and even to the point of affecting the, the very household of Pharaoh with the death of his firstborn son. And, and God, in the meanwhile, is protecting the people of Israel. And these, these curses become the occasion for the deliverance out of Egypt for the people of Israel. And the, and the, the occasion for them be, being given great, even material, blessing. But think about how this would have been received with the people of Israel who first received this text. This was given to them during the time of the Exodus. They, they, they're just been, they'd just been freed by these very things. It would have given them hope that the Lord would preserve them even as he had preserved their father, Abram. The blessing depends on God's call, not on Abram's conduct. But we're often like Abram, aren't we? We easily succumb to fear and take matters into our own hands. Even, or even sin out of a misplaced desire for self-protection. And by doing this, we put ourselves and those around us at risk. Brothers and sisters, history is in the hand of God. So is the future. And it's not just the future of Israel, but your future is in the hand of God as well. God may deliver you from temporal problems, or he may not. But one thing is certain, he will deliver you from eternal problems. He has delivered you from the greatest eternal problem by pouring out his wrath on his son in your place. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We may be like Abram in his fear, but God is always faithful God is always faithful. And so praise God, we, even though we might be like Abram in his fear, praise God that we are also like him in his faith. If you are here as a Christian this morning, you have the same faith as Abram. You ha have the same God as Abram. You may not have this, the, the degree of, of faith that he had, but you have faith, saving faith in the same God, and it comes to you as a gift from that faithful God. Abram's God is our God. He is faithful because he is always faithful to his promises. Even when we are unfaithful, God is not. His promises will never fail. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says that I'm sure that either death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor, or nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Abram is not the hero of this story. Yes, we can, we can, we can consider Abram as we, as we did in, in, in Romans 4, and we can, we can see his faith. But behind his faith, we see the faithful God. You can't look at Abram and say that he earned God's love. He received it by faith. Abram is not the hero of his story, and you are not the hero of yours. There is hope for us. 
because we have a God as the hero of our story. We have the God as the hero of our story. Let's pray to him. Almighty God, we confess that we are often faithless, that we often act in accordance with our own desires and our own wishes, contrary to your word, contrary to your will. Yet, Lord, we have a a seed of faith that you have given us, saving faith, not in our ability to, to do the right thing, not in our ability to live moral lives, but in you, in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. The righteousness of Christ credited to us through faith. The transfer of our guilt to him through faith. And Lord, we know that this faith is a gift that comes from your sovereign hand. Lord, for you are the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so we pray to you, faithful God, help us to be a faithful people for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.